Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, if you are a return listener, welcome back. If you are new, welcome. This episode is a long one. I sat down and spoke with Cinder Wolf for two hours. I have had a lot of fun and learned something new each time I have spoken with people who have participated in or assisted a transcontinental run project. Cinder has been the most detail-oriented person so far. She has participated in multiple projects, including Pete Koselnick's record-breaking effort in 2016, where her primary role was managing the RV logistics. We covered everything from what Cinder considers the ideal crew setup, fueling strategies, staying on top of the day-to-day and long-term logistics, responding to uncertainties, and much more. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting the show. If you wish to support monetarily, you can find links to my Patreon page or PayPal link on my website at zackbitter.com forward slash HPO or in the links in the show notes. If you wish to support the show non-monetarily, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube goes a very long way. Welcome on, Cinder. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Zach. I'm super excited. I do want to start by making sure that people are aware, too, that um, I didn't just crew Pete, but I also crewed Sandra V exactly a year later later on hers. And so, you know, as we interview, you're going to get two sides of what it was like, because one of the most interesting things was there was a huge difference in weather, in traffic, in things that happened in simply one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and she has a, to- it was a totally different experience and yet only one year apart, which will kind of help you to see that, you know, anything can happen on a transcon. That, yeah. <laughs> that's what we've learned. Anything can happen on a transcon. <laughs> Something about going across the entire country in the span of, of multiple weeks just sets you up for some sort of an unfamiliarity with, or variance, I should say. There's no, there's probably no one that matches the other. No, I mean, and we'll talk a little bit about it later as we talk about weather, but I mean, night and day weather okay. between Sandra and Pete's. Like and- Pete, almost perfect weather. Sandra, massive snowstorms. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you can. Uh, yes, Sandy's actually going to be coming on here uh, not too far down the road. So I'll, I'll be interesting to kind of compare notes on her experience versus Pete's. And, you know, one thing Pete mentioned when I had him on, I think I asked him a question or something about RVs. And he was like, yeah, I have no idea. I wasn't really paying attention to that part. So I was like, when he said that, I'm like, okay, we got to get someone from his crew <laughs> to talk about this, which I guess is the perfect setup, right? Like from his perspective and probably from the outcomes perspective, or maybe this is what I should ask you as one of, as the chief crew on his, uh, his project is like, your, is your goal essentially to try to have him thinking of basically as few things as possible. So he's focused on just kind of covering as much ground per day as he can. Yes, absolutely nothing. I mean, that was for both of them, the goal. And I feel this way anytime I crew. Um, and as we kind of do an introduction, I'll talk about my crewing experience, but I feel this way anytime I crew. Anytime I crew, I feel like the runner should have not one single thing on their mind except running. 
it is the crew person or the crew people's responsibility to make sure that it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the world or in the rest of life. All the runner is going to do is focus on running. And so we're going to deal with all of the other little things that could come up and they're really going to have no idea. And, you know, Sandra, Pete, and I've talked about that since that it's interesting um, that they're really totally unaware of what's going on in the background. After the run, there's a whole backstory <laughs> that they never even knew about. And I, and actually I'm super good friends with the Ulrichs with Heather and Marshall. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that. They were my go-to person on both runs. I mean, I called, I talked to them once, twice, three times a day, um, sometimes. And, and they would tell you the same thing. Like, when Marshall wrote his book, his his book about the run, they actually drove it again and so that they could talk about mm. what happened on the run. Because again, you're in the dark. I mean, the runner really has no idea what's happening in and amongst the crew, or at least they shouldn't. If you do, somebody's doing it wrong. Because if your mind is somewhere else, besides just putting one foot in front of the other, I think that disaster could happen. I mean, if your brain is somewhere else, if you've got a focus, that just needs to be your focus. And so that's really primarily your crew's responsibility is to make sure that you have nothing else to think about except running. And I think it was easier the second time. The first time that took learning, but I'd crewed a lot of races and I'd crewed multi-day races already. So um, I was a little bit more familiar with like, okay, this is what we need to do to really keep the runner just running the roads. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think like one thing that I didn't really think about too much when I was talking to Pete that I should have probably thought about and will need to start thinking about going forward here is like, you know, like your crew is also, you know, you know, they have the same experience of fatigue and probably some boredom and just some repetition, just like the, the wear and tear of the entire project, especially if it's someone who's going to be on the entire thing with you. So it's like, you think about the runner being like, well, they want to cover a certain amount of ground in a, in a specific day. And that means they're going to push through tiredness. They're going to push through lows and all that stuff. But as a crew, you're kind of tethered to that. So like if you get a bad night's sleep and you know, the runner gets up in the morning, decides they're going to have a big day that day, you can't just like say, Oh, well, you know, I'll just take a bunch of naps and catch up. It's like, you kind of have to be attached to them to a degree. And how much, what was that like, I guess is maybe what I should ask on that, on the project of itself. Was there a lot of like navigating sleep deprivation and things like that for you as the crew as well? Or were you able to stay on top of that pretty easily? You know, there really wasn't. And it's interesting. Um, it that doesn't it didn't really happen. And there's kind of a reason. And that is, as you start looking at the day by day of what you're doing, those things really kind of fall into a routine that makes it pretty, pretty simple to get through. Um, so it, that kind of puts us right into the middle of, of kind of the whole crewing experience. Mm -hmm. If we, you know, so I don't know if we want to talk like succinctly or if we want to kind of break it up. It just depends on how we want to move forward in the interview. 
Sure. Um, do you want me just to tell you a little bit about yeah. me first? Yeah, and let's then back up. I, yeah. I, I apologize. We were like getting into this we and now we're, we're, we're 10, <laughs> 10 minutes so in much. and I haven't even properly introduced you yet. Yeah, if you could just please share with the listeners kind of a little bit of your background, because I mean, I'm sure they're wondering how does one find themselves signing up to help not one, but two people work the way across the country on foot. So why, why, why were the, why are these people so interested in you? <laughs> okay. Well, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. I always wanted to be a runner always. When I was little growing up, I wanted to be a runner. Um, I had an aunt who was a, a pretty serious marathon runner. And I used to just admire her as a young adult, a young mom. I had four babies by the time I was 23. Um, in four years, I had four little girls. And I just wanted to be my Aunt Kathy. And then in the mid 80s, my aunt had been or the early 80s, my aunt had been running in a marathon doing a lot of training, traveling. They lived in Germany, back and forth. They were in the military, a lot of training. And after a marathon, she got really sick, had a blood transfusion done and unfortunately contracted AIDS um, mm. at a time before blood was being tested for AIDS and passed away from it a few years later. And, and one of the most honorable things I think she did was that she ran a marathon in like April and then died in the fall. And that was her last marathon. And I just watched this woman do this. And I wanted to be my Aunt Kathy. But I had four little kids. And I had a million reasons why I couldn't go out and run. And so it just kind of was a dream that set in the back of my mind. And then we'll fast forward to 2010. I'm almost 50 at that point. And I was in a pretty serious car accident in February of 2010. And I had to have a back surgery in June. And unfortunately, I um, got involved with a doctor that I didn't realize was, uh, he was an orthopedic neurosurgeon, but he was also kind of a fraud. Mm. And so he did, his average surgery on people's were seven, but he had the best Gray's Anatomy bedside manner and he was the cutest doctor on earth. And so he did my first surgery where I had a little bit of numbness in my leg and back pain. And I came out of my first surgery having to use a cane part of the time. Um, my leg didn't work. It would literally just forget it had a job oh. and it would just stop and I would fall or trip or something. Mass amounts of steroids, trying to make things better, put on a ton of weight um, and was pretty miserable. Beginning of that November of 2010, I took a fall in across the bathtub and broke my ribs. And, um, and so went back to the doctor and said, you got to fix my back. Like, I can't do this anymore. And so he did a second back surgery at the end of November. And now at this point, I still, I thought this guy was still fabulous, by the way, but he did a second back surgery and, um, decided that my L5, L, L4, L5 nerve root was too damaged from what he did the first time, by the way, to be fixed. And I was out of insurance money. So it wasn't like he could keep doing surgeries on me, right? Mm -hmm. And so he just severed them. So what that left me with was um, I could use my leg now and I didn't have pain, but I also didn't have a lot of feeling. So I have no Achilles reflex. I have no feeling. My pronius longus and brevis muscles are gone. There's no innovation to that part of my leg. So just a lot of complications. Um, but I wasn't in pain and I could walk now. It was just, you had to relearn how to use your foot right, but I could walk now. So, um, 
fast forward a little bit further from breaking my ribs, they had done a CAT scan to check my lungs and my liver to make sure I didn't puncture anything. And they found that I had a big tumor in my right lung. So I had a PET scan, it came back positive. In January 10th of that year, I went in and had the mid lobe of my right lung removed. And they found it wasn't cancer. Crazy enough, it was a bird fungus that's really rare and 100% fatal if you don't treat it. It's called Cryptococcus neoformis. So fortunately, falling and breaking my ribs actually saved my life. (laughs) I had gotten the bird fungus from being on steroids for so long, compromising immune system. I lived on a big farm in Oregon. We irrigated from a canal that had birds. So now where does, why, why is this all important? This is all important because I was well over 210 pounds, absolutely depressed, miserable in my own skin. And I'd never been overweight or depressed, but just a miserable, you know, three major surgeries in a very short period of time. And I joined uh, Weight Watchers. I wanted to make sure, can I say business names on your podcast? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I want to make sure. Anyway, I joined Weight Watchers in March. And they had a 5K walk it challenge. It was going to be May 23rd and of 2011. So 10 year anniversary. So I put on my garden shoes because I didn't really have any good tennis shoes. Put on my garden shoes and drove about an hour from my house all alone. Nobody in my family thought I could really do this or would do this. And I ran, <laughs> jogged my first. 5k. Now, mind you, after the the lung surgery, they don't even want you to drive for six months. Mm -hmm. So I'm fairly certain that they don't want you jogging. (laughs) But um, I, I, my goal was to do it in under an hour. And I did it in 59 minutes and 56 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And I got my little I did it star, I still have my little I did it foamy little squeeze ball (laughs) star. Um, But for me, that 5k changed my life. It literally changed my life. I settled with my insurance company about a week after that 5k, got a very small check after we paid the surgeon for everything he didn't do. Um, I drove from cashing my check directly to Portland Running Company, a store in Portland, fabulous store, running store in Portland. And just, I walked in the door and said, I'm going to run a marathon this year. I need everything possible to be a marathon runner. So um, $1,500 later and the ugliest shoes on the shelf. You know, runners, I watched runners. I followed runners. Runners wear really cute, bright shoes, you know, I got the gray, ugly grandma shoes from the top shelf. I pronated so bad. I had so many things to correct. Um, I just, but I did buy a pair of really cute shoes too, just to walk around in. Cause I told him like, I got to have cute running shoes too. I won't wear them to run. I promise. <laughs> anyway, um, fabulous store, great people, great help. Seriously, some serious help um, in getting me started So I just immediately started signing up for races. So in June, I did a couple 5Ks and a 10K. And in July, I did a half marathon and a couple 5Ks. You know, I I bought all the books. I did all, I read all the programs. And then I just went out and ran. Mm -hmm. I I didn't really 
pay a lot of attention to any of that part. Um, and then I signed up for the Long Beach Marathon in October. And so by October, I'd already ran three half marathons, several five and 10Ks. Now, mind you, I am the last finisher almost every time. I'm going to be, I am the slowest runner on earth. I, I, I am a 15 minute runner. Um, and so it didn't really matter. And no matter what I do, I'm never going to be faster because I have no Achilles reflex on my left leg. And so, in fact, a physiatrist told me it was physically impossible for me to run. I told her it was a good thing I hadn't talked to her before, like my 10th marathon, because I was like, it's never impossible. And I'm so frustrated when people say, oh, my doctor said it will hurt this or this. And I'm like, come on, if you want to do it, just go do it. So the reason I started with ultras was I was in Vegas visiting my daughter. This is my crewing start now. I, would, I was so slow at running that I don't, I'm, I'm going to time out on almost all races, honestly. <laughs> I mean, unless it's a one that has a gracious time period, I'll time out. So I realized there had to be something I could run in, some race that I could run in that being a 15 minute miler would be perfectly acceptable. And um, that's where I found ultras. But I found crewing because I had started, I'm a vision board person. So I'll create vision boards for everything. So I had started reading every running book there was. I mean, when I started running, I started reading every running book that was available or listening to it on Audible. Um, and the first one I ever read was Marshall Ulrich's book. And so I knew about running off across America right away. And so I'm sitting, it's a Sunday night. I'm sitting at my daughter. She's having a baby any day. And I'm looking at Craigslist to see what, because I'm in Vegas, but I live in Oregon. I'm looking to see what kind of massage jobs are available in Vegas. And I open up Craigslist and I get to massage. And the first job posting was ultra runner doing training run from Joshua Trees to Vegas needs crew that can cook, drive RV, and do massage first week in January. And I was, I immediately sent a message back and said, pick me. I had no idea who this man was. No idea who he was. My family was freaking out. My daughter could be having this baby any day. And that's the reason I was there was to help her. But I felt so strongly about going. So I agreed with my family that I would pick him up at the airport. He would spend the night with us at my daughter's house so that they could make sure he wasn't like a serial killer or something. Because <laughs> I was literally heading off into the middle of nowhere in Joshua Trees with him and his cameraman. <laughs> so um, this was a guy named Croy Sather. He actually had ran across America the, a couple of years before that. Um, in a hundred days, just he ran and spoke he did the Southern route and he spoke to at-risk youth. Um, anyway, so off I went with Croy, drove at the RV, drove an RV he rented, um, cooked for him, did massage, and really fell in love with crewing. Realized that I was in love with crewing, but also I was in love with the concept of running across America. So I had put together a vision board and on my vision board, I had all the wonderful authors that I wanted to meet. I wanted to meet Marshall. I wanted to meet Dean. I wanted to meet Pam. I just had all these wonderful people that I wanted to meet. And 
And then I decided to run across America. So I was going to do it a little bit backwards because um, I happened to be LDS and I was decided I would run from Palmyra, New York, along the Mormon Trail as close as I could get to Salt Lake, and then from Salt Lake, take the Oregon Trail and head to back to home in Oregon. So I planned that. I was completely ready, going to do it. Um, we bought a van. We were going to just camp along the way, just my husband and I, you know, and I was going to run about 20 miles a day and take Sundays off. I mean, yeah, we're talking like a six month project here. Mm -hmm. um, but because of that, I did a ton of research on where would you stop? Where would you stay? What would you need to eat? What would you do? How would you do this? And I started doing more and more talking to people who had ran across America and, and, you know, just really focusing on it. Well, in the meantime, I have a sister that I kind of raised. She's younger than me. And her husband was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so we knew that he was not going to live very long. She had two small children. They lived in Hawaii. And so I realized that my run was going to go out the window for a while. Um, and so I put it on the back burner and really realizing that that's, that was the greatest blessing because I, I have some real crazy fears like animals. Mm -hmm. And so um, <laughs> I'm not sure that I would have been the best candidate for running across America, but um, because I'd done so much research, I was the best candidate for crewing a run across America. So Fast forward to meeting, I'm, I've crewed now, I've crewed Salton Sea, Badwater 135 numerous times. I'm on my third crewing of Badwater 135. I always show up early, take my massage table. I've ran a couple ultras now, Jackpot, which I know you love. Um, I Jackpot was my very first 100K. Um, and so I've done, I've done massage at Jackpot every year. I've, I've actually either ran it, worked at it, or done massage at it every year, except last year during the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I just, I fell in love with crewing. So we're at Badwater, Pete's. Um, I tell people, and Chris always announces that I'm, you know, it's not a part of Badwater, but I was there. I was willing to do massages if anybody wanted to get one. I take all my stuff with me right before I crew, you know? And so Pete came up and said, Hey, I'd like to get a massage. So I went to do a massage for Pete. I already knew. So I didn't realize it was kind of his little pre with Chuck and Dean who were going to be his crew for the transcon. I already knew Dean. I'd actually crewed Dean on at salt and sea before. So, and crewed with Dean. So I knew Dean Hart already. Um, and so anyway, I was, did the massage for Pete and about 20 minutes into the massage, we're talking about the transcon and uh, we started talking about the possibility of me joining it as the massage therapist and uh, cook. I, I've done, I took sports nutrition in college. Um, and so we talked about me being able to do that and I was on board. I went home and told my husband I'm going on a transcon now remind this is like third week in july mm -hmm. and we're leaving this in the beginning of september basically so um and as pete told you so that that's how i got signed up for the transcon um and so and i know pete told you about the rv story so 
they thought they had an RV uh, that they were renting or, or having one sponsored. It ended up falling through. And so he was really stuck last minute renting an RV, um, which would have been really spendy. Just so happened I had a friend in Vegas who I knew had an RV that he rented out. I'd rented it before him from him a couple times before, and they never used it at all. It just sat at their house. And so I just called him up and said, hey, Daniel, uh, how would you feel about renting your RV for a really good cause? And so um, he gave Pete just a tremendous deal. We're talking like almost nothing mm -hmm. um, deal. And, um, and I was familiar with it. I knew how to drive it. Plus it was in Vegas. So we ended up staging Pete's race out of Vegas. So all of the companies that were sending stuff, they all sent it directly to my daughter's house in Vegas. And we parked the RV, got all, took it in, got it wrapped in Vegas. I know you and Pete were, I heard you and Pete talking about, you said like, put a sign on it, right? Put mm -hmm. a sign on the RV that said, uh, you know, don't bother me or be careful runner. We yeah. actually wrapped his whole RV. You're going to want to wrap your RV. That's, okay. that's my first note for you. We did not have it wrapped for Sandra because it was so last minute me joining her crew that we didn't wrap it for Sandra, but we still had the front wrapped for Pete. My, the mother, we call her the mothership. She's, which is funny. Cause I didn't realize that's what Dean called. They called Dean's RV. His parents call their RV, the mothership too. We didn't know that. I didn't know that until I just read his last book. But anyway, our, my RV is still wrapped in the front. That's the very top of the front still says Pete's Feet Across America. That will never come off of there. <laughs> um, and I laughingly say I still need to buy a wrap for Sandra because we didn't have it wrapped. I used literally those van paints to mm -hmm. paint Sandra's on there. Um, but I still need to buy a wrap for Sandra's because I, I do want to keep those memories, sure. you know, in the RV. So, um, yeah, so that's how I got started and that's how we ended up with that RV. So that's really interesting. Cause I think like when I talk to just a lot of folks within the ultra marathon running kind of community, there's there, I wouldn't say everyone has a story like that. Definitely not everyone, certainly not quite like yours, but there are, there just seems to be a higher than average percentage of folks who kind of got into the sport through some sort of, uh, um, really wide ranging why I guess I would call it. it's one of the things I like to ask coaching clients before I start working with them is like why do you want to do this because I find it useful in programming for them but also I'm just curious about like what's drawing people into some of these these events and these sports and things like that and and with yours it's so interesting because like it sounds like almost like your why was partly due to you had a phase in your life where a lot of professionals told you you probably would never even have an opportunity to run much less you know run ultra marathons and doing the, the things that you're doing now so for you to search for a reason is is maybe a little different than say someone like myself who hasn't had any type of like career ending injury at any point where I was staring down like the likelihood of having to completely give the sport up or anything like that so I'm always interested in the perspective of folks like that because they've you know, they're in a, in a situation where that that passion or the 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 draw was kind of removed. It didn't have a choice. It wasn't a question of do I really want to do this or not. It was a question of like, am I even going to be able to have the opportunity to do this again? Am I 
kind of a getting close to some of that for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I always tell people it's, there's a lot of races that I, that I can't do. So for example, I will never qualify for a bad water 135. Although that is the top of my bucket list. Honestly, mm. that's mm. the top of my dream. So actually just as a little secret thing, um, I actually plan on working with Heather and Marshall this fall to do the 146 on my own. So oh, I cool. just, I'm working with a personal trainer right now. I've not done that part of it before. I always just go out and run. And so, but I'm, I'm working with a personal trainer a couple of days a week now to actually get the core in shape. Um, I had to have a, a really pretty major surgery this last November, um, which was a blessing and a curse. I had a really bad esophagus and stomach. And so they went in and had to do a big repair on it. But the good thing is when they did it, it's a, it wasn't a sleeve, but it's almost the same results. So I've actually lost 35 pounds since November. I'm, you know, I'm finally getting in really good shape. My, my health is fabulous right now. And so I'm in a place where I can actually really start training. And I had to think of training differently because I realized that, you know, to, to do a 146, you got to be able to run across the desert. You got to be able to, and I'm not, I'm, we're talking a week long. We're not talking like I'm, it's going to be a, a multi-day race, but I got to be able to climb to the top of, of Whitney mm -hmm. with Marshall. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, Heather and Marshall and I've been talking about it and, and it's kind of, it's my big dream. I, I love everything about the Badwater course. I love Death Valley. It's my favorite place on earth. And so, um, yeah, so you're right. It's the why. But I, I had to realize really on like, I'm so impressed with people like you and Pete and Sandra and, you know, that can just go out there and pour in mile after mile after mile at such great speeds, because I will never be the fastest runner. Never. I, I mean, my body can't do it. My Achilles, you know, makes my foot drag. But the thing is, is what I hope I always am is the, is the hope and the dreams and the fulfillment of that. For people like me who are older, I mean, I'm 59 now, you know, that are older, not in the shape they were in their 20s or 30s. Um, life gets in the way every day and has had a lot of physical challenges. And that's, those are the people I really want to touch. The people that, that um, can run, want to run, but have been told they can't mm -hmm. or think they can't. You know, I want to motivate those people to get out there and move. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizer's Breakthrough Magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for powering over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. It has been estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. Often, people don't recognize that there are at least seven types of magnesium. Most magnesium supplements contain one or two forms of these seven types. Bioptimizers has formulated their magnesium supplement to contain all seven forms of magnesium. Breakthrough Magnesium has a select packages available for up to 40% off when combined with our custom 10% discount code, which will be activated by entering the coupon code HUMAN10 when you head over to www.mag breakthrough.com forward slash human. All links and codes will be included in the show notes. Now 
on to the next topic. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think with that group of people too, like it's hard enough, I think, in a lot of cases to put your to put yourself out there and take after, go after a challenge that's maybe, you know, the people around you say isn't doable. Maybe you at some point think it's not doable. I know I fell in that boat at one point in time. I actually told my college cross country coach that, well, I didn't tell him. I thought about it as he was explaining to me what I was going to have to do to, to, to train with the team. And I remember just thinking like I'd never run a 90 mile week in my life. And obviously had I stuck to that mindset, I wouldn't be talking to you right now about ultra marathons in any capacity. (laughs) So, so like, it is interesting how we place these limitations on ourselves sometimes, but then I'm really fascinated in folks like yourself because not only is there the potential to put limitations, you have every excuse in the world to not do it, right? There's no one's going to go to you and say, Hey, you know, you should really get out there and start doing some five K's and 10 K's. They'd be like, Oh, that's a bummer. You're unable to do it. And they wouldn't judge you for that. So you're convincing yourself that it's the right thing to do. And you're getting messaging from the people around you, the professionals around you saying probably not a good idea. In fact, you know, don't even think about doing much of anything for six months. And here you are looking to run a 5k for for the first time amidst all of that. I'm pretty sure that the same doctors, if they knew that, you know, since I've ran, you know, a hundred K and a fifth, I did 50 miles at Badger a couple of years ago, um, almost two years ago. I actually had planned on Badger 100 being my first 100. Scott just has been a fabulous cheerleader for me. I wanted it to be, but I made the mistake and this was a big mistake of driving. I took Take, I took one granddaughter and two nephews, but I, they're all older teenagers, but I didn't, they weren't a mistake, but I took my, I took the mothership. And so I, I made it a vacation. So we took this long trip out to Wisconsin the day, the day before the race, we spent the entire day in Chicago touring all around. We, you know, I mean, I rented a car, parked the RV in Wisconsin, rented a car, drove to Chicago, toured all over Chicago you know, I mean, really, I was exhausted before the race started. And I had already driven the mothership from uh, Utah, where I live now, to Wisconsin. So I, my legs were tired because, you know, driving, I always say driving a car, you can kind of just drive or let the car drive. Driving a 32-foot RV, you can never just let the car drive, the RV yeah. drive. You must be driving it at all times. And so I was already exhausted and I was having Achilles problems. So 50 miles in, my Achilles was just blossomed out. It was huge. You could stick your finger into the swelling. And I, every time I put my foot down, it was so painful that I called the race at 50 miles. I was like, I can't do any more than this. Um, which was really disappointing for me. But at the same time, I knew that I had to turn around and get back in the RV the next day and drive it back to Utah. So I knew that, and that was the mistake. I realized that there are smart things we do. And probably one of the non-smart things is when people, or at least myself, combine vacationing with ultra running. (laughs) It's like, you need to plan on doing one or the other. But don't try to do them in the same trip. I I just don't think that works very well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. My wife and I joke around about that because we'll go and do these international races from time to time. And it's like with those, it's 
we always try to try to make sure like we get the run or the race. We want to get out there early enough, obviously, if it's like a time zone thing, but uh, we love to do a race if it's like in the first few days. So then you can just get into whatever country it is, focus just on the race for the first few days, get the race done, then go into vacation mode. And, and uh, yeah, because I really believe I had done the training. I mean, I mm -hmm. was trained. I was ready. I could have done a hundred miles. I just put my body through too many other things. And, you know, let's tie that back to your transcon because that's one of those reasons too, why you as the runner need to only have one focus. Like if you're focusing on anything else, but the run, you're going to be in that same situation. You know, this is, it's not a vacation for you. It, it will be a bit of a vacation for your crew. I mean, honestly, you know, if we flip back to, you know, I think this will segue us right back into, you know, what it was like to crew, um, you know, so the one thing, my role, so I can only talk about my role. I can't talk about anybody else's on the crew. I mean, I know what they did, mm -hmm. but my role was basically anything to do with the RV and Pete. So um, I did all of the shopping for the trip. Um, I did all of the nutritional planning, which um, I would suggest if you've not done it yet, that you spend some time in conversation with Marshall Ulrich about nutrition. I think he has it dialed in better than anyone. I mean, I'll t I'm going to tell you the same things he told me and that I put into place, but he really, he's the reason that I knew how to do. I studied sports nutrition. He's the reason that I knew how to put what I studied into a formula. Um, and so Marshall actually gave me a formula. And so as I shopped and as I planned meals, I really focused on that formula. Um, and the formula that he gave me is for every thousand feet in elevation that you're at. And we're not talking climbing, we're talking where you're at. So for every thousand feet in elevation, you need a thousand calories a day. So if you're at 3,000 feet, you need 3,000 calories just for elevation. If you're at 10,000 feet, you need 10,000 calories just for elevation. Um, and then for every mile you run, you need 100 calories in during the day. So if you plan on matching Pete, so you're going to run, let's say, 72 to 75, then you need about 7,500 calories of that's running calories. Mm -hmm. And if you're on uh, Cameron Pass and you're at 10,000 feet, now you need an additional 10,000 calories at that time. So for that day, you're going to need 17,000 calories or that, you know, there's about a three day period in there that you would need 17,000 calories. Do you need 17,000 calories every day? No, you don't because you don't need more than you're going to burn or more than you're going to need to sustain. And I know Pete told you, he only lost about five miles, five pounds, I mean, on the whole trip. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we really followed this formula. So in the mid plains, when you're going in the plains and you're at a much lower elevation, you need less calories. You still need your running calories, but you don't need as much elevation calories. And, and that really, that's probably one of the most difficult chores for the person planning your nutrition is to not just say a blanketed statement of, oh, he's going to need to eat 15,000 calories a day. Because mm -hmm. that's just going to slow you down. That's going to make you sluggish. You're not going to burn all those. You want to be able to, to eat exactly what you're burning. 
Mm. And, um, but you can't have a deficit either. So you can't go into Mount Cam to Cameron Pass where it's 10,000 feet. <clears throat> you can't go into that pass with only 5,000 calories in your body because you're going to bonk. I mean, there's no way. And so it's, there's a really stringent formula. And I think that formula is the most important part of being successful for you, the runner, um, is to really have your, whoever's doing your nutrition, they need to be 100% dialed in because it's easy to say, eat 17,000 calories today. How do you get those 17? Right. Yeah. And that was, that was, you know, Marshall could tell me what you needed, but then I had to figure out how to translate that into food. And, um, and so I worked really hard on looking at how can I make the most calorie dense food possible for eating, still have it be palatable and still have your stomach be able to handle it, you know, um, because let's be honest, you're not going to get that in food bars mm -hmm. running across America. You're not going to get that in a smoothie running across America. You're, you're not going to handle that. Plus you're not going to want to eat that for 40 days straight. Mm -hmm. So we did some, I mean, I did some serious cooking, tater tot casserole, um, full fat, all dairy, full fat, you know, lots of butter. I, I, I am the queen of butter. My family will tell you, <laughs> I love butter. I could just eat butter. So I'm the queen of butter, but butter in everything, lots and lots and lots of butter. We did not get those calories from sugar, by the way. The goal wasn't to feed Pete and Sandra as much sugar as possible. The goal was to feed them as much calorie dense. So heavy creams, whenever, like I make tater tot casserole for them, I'm talking full fat cheeses. I'm talking a can of cream of chicken soup with heavy cream mixed into the cream of chicken soup as the sauce, you know, I mean, things like that, that added fat and calories that were calorie dense foods that they could burn easily. We figured out in the first week for Pete that um, the greens are out the window. You don't have room in your stomach for calorie dense foods and a lot of greens too. So like I was making salad and vegetable, you know, asparagus and green beans and broccoli. And, and then we realized he was wasting stomach space for very little calorie value. And so that's kind of a shift that, that you have to make. And I, you're, I mean, I, I can't imagine doing this for a vegan. I know vegans do it and I totally admire that they can. I don't know how, because we had steak. We had, well, so part of the food thing was making fun traditions. So we had what we called new state steak night. So every time we hit a new state, we had massively delicious gourmet steaks. A lot of, by the way, once people realized we were doing it and we hit the Midwest, were donated to us. <laughs> I can't even, we, I bought no meat once I hit Nebraska never bought another piece of meat in Nebraska. People literally brought me coolers of their fresh farm beef and would leave it with me. Like, I mean, I'm in an RV. I only have so much freezer right. space, mm -hmm. you know, but people brought us coolers of fresh meat from their farms It and vegetables, even which we ate, but Pete didn't. But, um, but yeah, so when you're looking at that, so I did, you know, all the shopping, making sure that 
that their food is um, was right. And I'll just really quickly say, and I'm sure you probably already know this, but so um, the reason that you have to worry about the calories, and I know Pete told you this, he ate 24 seven. So, um, and so did Sandra, I call it dream feeding. So next to their bed, was for Pete protein bars. He loves the, the different kind of protein bars. For Sandra, it was like instant puddings, the little snack packs of puddings or yogurts or things like that. It was much hard. Sandra had a much harder time getting that many calories in. I think for women, there's like a a, a thing that makes you go, ah, I can't eat 15,000 calories right. today, <laughs> you know? And so, but um, but they literally ate all the time. And the reason is, is because you never want to go into catabolism. So catabolism is where your muscles, normally at night, when you go to bed, if you've done a lot of exercise, your body goes into catabolism, it starts breaking down your muscle tissue. And, and then you will start rebuilding it, right? You, the 42 days you're out there, you don't want to go into catabolism at all. You never want your muscles to start breaking down. So you need to keep your body fed. And as long as you keep it fed with high proteins, then it keeps you out of catabolism to some degree. You'll still go a little bit, but it keeps you out of it. And that will keep your muscles from breaking down and being damaged because you start breaking down your muscles and then you don't complete the process of rebuilding them back up before you're out again. And then, then you start that and then you end up starting with injuries and you'll see that I see that I can look at an ultra runner that's doing a multi-day event and know that like from the injuries they have and from how they're moving and how they look that, that they're starting to break down. Pete, if you look at Pete, every picture from the first day of his transcon from to the last day, the only thing he has more of is more suntan, <laughs> you know, him and Sandra both. They're not, they never looked gaunt. They never looked like they are, were starving. I mean, they both looked fabulous. The only change that you really see is they're both way more tanned mm -hmm. at the end than they were in the beginning. And that really is because, you know, I worked really hard. And so as you're looking at your crew, that's probably, I think, one of the most key things is that whoever's doing your nutrition understands what it takes to do a transcon. It's completely different than any other nutrition you will ever do. And with knowing that, you also have to think about, so going back to the shopping, um, when I'm shopping, I'm looking at, you know, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere, America. Mm -hmm. It is the most amazing trip on earth. I tell people I have seen middle America, you know, 70 miles at a time or 50 miles at a time, same route twice. I've seen it. It's amazing. It's stunning. But sometimes the only grocery store you have is a mom and pop. And you're not going to take the RV off the beaten path to go find a better grocery store. So you have to really be like prepared grocery wise. You have to kind of know what to expect. And I think I was way more prepared with Sandra than I was with Pete because I didn't know what to expect with Sandra. Like, for example, between Tonopah and Ely, you know, we took a down day with Pete so we were out there several days, you know, we were like three days out there and there's nothing there. I mean, there's nothing, nothing, no gas, no water, no nothing. There is a little hot springs, by the way, and it's behind a fence, but you can get into it. 
we never went in it, but I tell you, I've always said, if I do that again, I am going in Jumping that in. Yeah. <laughs> I am in that hot springs the next time I want to drive out there again, just to see it. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of stuff like in shopping, like Tonopah has a grocery store. It's not fabulous, but it's okay. So you want to make sure when you leave Tonopah that your shoppers, you don't want to make sure, but your shoppers want to make sure that they've done all the shopping that they need to do. We didn't plan on a down day with Pete between Ely and, or between Tonopah and Ely. So, you know, it was a good thing I was prepared because we had, if we wouldn't have had that extra day, we wouldn't have had enough, we could have ran out of water. We could have ran out of food. Well, we never would have ran out of food. The RV was packed, but, but I mean, you have to think about those things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you get stuck somewhere in between, um, you know, so yeah, so I did the meals, the shopping, laundry. I have a joke. I took a picture of every laundry mat that I that I um, used on Sandra's run. I didn't think about it in Pat's, Pete's, but I did for Sandra's. So I've said I'm actually going to do a coffee table book called Laundromats of America. <laughs> <laughs> because it got to be fun to find and to see the different kinds of laundry mats. You know, like, because I guarantee you, you don't want your clothes in the RV mm-hmm. very many days. We had sealed plastic bags, little tip. Uh, and, you know, I'm more than willing as you get closer to your race act to talk to your crew too about the different sure. tips. One was gallon Ziploc bags. And when Pete took his clothes off at the end of the day, he put them in a gallon Ziploc bag, sealed them up because he always wears shorts. So if you wear longer pants, you might need like the two gallon Ziplocs, but he sealed them up. And then they went into a garbage bag, which was in a laundry thing. And so that way we never had the smell of uh, runner. Yeah. um, In there, we never had the runner smell. So, um, and then every chance I got, I did laundry. It doesn't even matter if I just did it the day before. Um, If I went by a laundromat and I had time, I stopped and did laundry. Um, and then, so the way that, that we did it, and I don't know what your plan is, but the way that we did it was our morning, I'll just run you through a morning. So I got up about an hour before Pete, um, in the morning and very quietly in an RV. I mean, there was only me, Pete and Tracy in the RV. Um, I had my own little private bedroom. I slept in the, the above bed, the, the cab over bed. Um, and I had a little cupboard thing there that I put there to block. And so I really had my own space that I could go. So I know Pete told you, you know, oftentimes he wanted to be out by three or four in the morning. So, you know, I was up between two and three in the morning. We kind of changed as we changed time zones. But um, I would get up first and just get the morning stuff started, get his breakfast started, get everything kind of organized and ready for the day. So uh, we did, I did do smoothies every morning for him. Um, We used a hammer and then I would add, again, hammer is the base, their little powder. And then I added everything possible to it. For example, I would use heavy cream in it. I mean, just added stuff, bananas, things to just give it extra um, calories in that smoothie. I would make his breakfast. We pretty much after a while started doing like a box of instant oatmeal in the morning. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And like 
toaster strudels or pop tarts, um, sometimes toast, but usually you wanted it to have even more calories than that. Biscuits and gravy, you know, I mean, things like that. So then I would get peed up, he would get dressed, he would eat his breakfast, we would go in and we would do like a 15 oh, minutes. Oops, my watch thinks I fell. Um, <laughs> I would do a 15 minute stretch on him. And so we would stretch out his psoas, we would get his piriformis, we would get his legs all stretched out, you know, and really get him, get his ankles, his Achilles, everything loose and ready to go. And then he would go out the door. I would clean the RV. So, and I'm talking top to bottom, Lysol wipes, um, you know, do the dishes, put everything away, clean the, clean the entire RV. Didn't it matter if it didn't need cleaned or not? Make his bed, you know, clean up his stuff from the night before, from his eating all night. And then um, then I would drive between 35 and 40 miles ahead. So it was on that drive that then I had the opportunity to find a laundromat, do any grocery shopping we needed to do, um, you know, kind of. And then I would find a space that would, the RV would fit. And this is the miracle of, of Pete and Sandra's transcon. I almost never didn't find a space exactly where I needed one. Hmm. I mean, it was, Pete's race was crazy bizarre. Like we never didn't find a spot for Pete's race. The entire race, he never staked out. We never didn't find a spot where we needed one, um, which will be very similar for you because you plan on running very similar miles. So it was funny to stay in the same spots twice. Yeah. So like in Yosemite, we stayed in the same spot for Pete and Sandra. There was like probably 10 spots across the US that we stayed in the same spot. Some places I stopped for lunch where we slept with Pete. Um, and so, or we stopped, you know, where we had lunch with Pete, we ended up sleeping for the night for Sandra. But um, yeah, so it was, so that was kind of my, morning then i would stop make what we called second breakfast because you know he would get a couple marathons a marathon and a half in about 40 miles but because he left so early he's still hitting in there between 10 9 10 11 you know so we would do what we called second breakfast so that's usually when i would do like a big omelet or or biscuits and gravy or sometimes leftover tater tot casserole. I mean, Pete's not a picky eater at all. So that was just a really big meal. And Pete also is blessed with a stomach that allowed him to go out and run right after he ate all that. It, mm -hmm. That was pretty amazing that he could go run after he ate. Um, so then we would then talk about what was our thought for the afternoon. Um, did, was he gonna, you know, how many miles did he think he was gonna get for the day? And he would give me a number and then whatever that number was, that's what he was stuck with. So if he said, okay, we're going to do another 35 today, then 35 is what we're doing because I'm going to drive ahead and I'm going to find the closest thing I can find. I tried to always be within two miles minus never over a mile plus. So if I needed to, to figure out plus or minus, I'm always going to go on the minus because if he thinks he's doing 75 and I'm parked at 77, mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't, he's not going to want to do those extra two miles. Sometimes I would let check and Dean know, Hey, I couldn't find anything till 77. 
would you just let Pete know that, you know, it's going to be 77, he might want to walk in the last two today, or it's going to be 72 instead of 70. Um, and that was kind of that communication with Chuck and Dean to make them aware of like, okay, here I am. We dropped a lot of pins. You're going to want to drop a lot of pins on your Google Maps, but don't always trust them. One time a pin took me all the way up a dirt road in Pennsylvania in the middle of a rainstorm where I thought the RV was going to get stuck before I could back it three miles out, realizing that that pin was not accurate. Mm. <laughs> um, so you can't always trust the pins when you get to weird areas. Um, but anyway, before Pete went back out, I would stretch him again after, after his second breakfast or beginning lunch. Um, Chuck and Dean actually then fed him on the road. So they would do, they had a cooler with all kinds of protein bars and, you know, whatever we food, we decided sandwiches, whatever was in their cooler. If there was a fast food place like a McDonald's or something like that, that they could just stop and grab something for him occasionally, they would. Um, Subway, Pete loved Subway. People gave us Subway gift cards. We had so much Subway. Um, but so they would do that in the middle. And then I would be at wherever it was at the end of the day. Pete would come in, get a shower, have dinner. We would have our downtime, you know, kind of talk a little bit. And, and in the RV was just 99% of the time was just me and Pete. So um, we did everything we could to keep the chaos out of the RV. Chuck and Dean, bless their heart. I mean, they're both military, we're both had been military. They had tents, they had the van all set up for them. They got, they came in and got their food out of the RV. I cooked for everybody, but they did not hang out in the RV. We didn't sit in the RV and chat or have talks. If we normally needed to talk about something, it didn't involve Pete anyway, unless it was a major decision that had to be made that he had to be a part of, which there were only probably one the whole trip. Um, nobody else came in the RV. We let very few visitors in the RV, like a couple of Pete's good friends that came <clears throat> along the way. We let them come in. <clears throat> but for the most part, the RV was me and Pete. Tracy slept in it, but that was all. The RV was really just our space. <clears throat> it was a private space. It was a quiet space. And I'm the only one that ever went in the back of the RV <clears throat> in Pete's bedroom. Nobody else did. Um, that was completely closed off. If Pete wasn't in it, nobody used the bathroom in the RV except for Pete. <laughs> um, we, because, and I know you asked Pete about this and he had no idea. Interestingly enough, I didn't have trouble finding dumping spots. A lot of uh, truck stops in mid-America have a, a dump and you just, it's like 10 bucks and you can dump. A lot of state fairgrounds, a lot of fairgrounds, I mean, have places, a lot of like KOAs and those places, they'll let you just come in and pay them 10 bucks to dump your RV. But because you never know if you're going to be able to dump or not, you never want, you can dump gray water anywhere. You know, you can, you can let gray water out. That's fine. That's just shower water, dish water, mm -hmm. but you can't black water. And so we didn't use the RV. Um, I'll just leave it up to your imagination what we did use. Um, but we did not use the RV to go to the bathroom because even myself, because um, 
uh, because you really, it's about saving that for the runner. Um, and we, I did occasionally shower in the RV. Um, if I knew I was going to be able to get water quickly, um, or, you know, I was going to be able to, to find a service, then I would shower in the RV. But for, but if there was a question at all, um, we didn't, we just, mm -hmm. and Chuck and Dean never, ever, ever used the RV bathroom. Tracy probably a couple of times, or they never even used a shower in the RV. Um, I never asked them what they did. I figured out, you know, they'd been in the military. They did their own thing. <laughs> they knew what um, they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's an important factor because again, if all of a sudden you have a full RV and nowhere to dump it or no way to dump it, you know, that affects you. You're the one that needs to be able to come in and use the bathroom. You're the one that needs to be able to come in and use the shower. Um, it's all about you. And when you're running a transcon, it is all about the runner. It is not about the rest of them. Now, on Sandra's run, because there were only three of us on Sandra's crew, two crew and Sandra, we didn't, we didn't have other people. It was just Jay, me, and Sandra, and a Toyota Yaris. That was our crew car. Um, and because I already knew for Sandra's run where I was going to be able to get water and get dump and do all of that, I already knew it was going to be okay. So on Sandra's run, uh, we all did use the shower more. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a, an important thing. Um, keeping the RV clean, that was, that was fun. And then just keeping the runner in balance. Every night at the end of the night, I did a massage. I had a, ta I have a table that fits in my RV. If you're tipped out, it fits like with six inches space around it. <laughs> so I can do massage, but for the most part, we usually just did it right on the back bed, right on Pete's bed in the back, mm -hmm. um, or in Sandra's bed in the back. But we didn't skip those. So it was like stretch in the morning, stretch in the afternoon, about a half an hour of massage things out. Um, just check in, me checking in because sports massage is my passion. It's my strong ability and I'm really gifted at it. So it was really me just checking in with their body, looking at what they needed, um, you know, taping them if we needed to. Um, popping any blisters, you know, really, I mean, me just checking in on the entire body and looking and saying, okay, you know, here's what we need to do. We, we need to fix that blister or we need to wrap that or we need to KT tape you tomorrow or, you know, all of those things. Just really checking in with the body, checking in with the runner, talking to them, you know, real quietly, seeing what they're feeling, kind of getting a feel for their emotional, you know, where are they at emotionally? Um, and I think that's kind of, I became that mother role in that sense for both Pete and Sandra, mm -hmm. where, you know, they could check in, talk softly. It's funny because I'm kind of a hyper crazy person and except when I'm crewing. And then I'm this really quiet, you know, mellow person. Um, but yeah. And then I know like finding parking spots, you brought that up. I, I listened to your podcast. You, you did your homework. <laughs> I should have just hit record and went and done something else. I'll just let you go on and listen to it later. <laughs> this um, is great. Parking though, that it's an interesting story. Like I said, Pete, so Yosemite will be your first challenge. Well, first of all, San Francisco will be your first challenge. Do not plan on taking the RV to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Now we were blessed because Catra lived on the route almost. 
-hmm. And so with both Pete and Sandra, we staged like four days beforehand with Pete, one day beforehand with Sandra. Um, We staged at Catra's once we got to California. And then we left the RV park there, went to City Hall, got them started off. And, and then I did not do a midday break with them because there's no way that I could, there's nowhere in that first day that Mm -hmm. I wanted to park the RV until that night. And then I parked it that night and made dinner. And so, um, so we were really fortunate. So what you want to be doing is looking at now, and actually Jay that crewed for us, he lives in that same area that Catra did. And we didn't park the RV at Catra's house. We actually parked it like on a street really close to where she used to live. That parking spot, nobody bothered us. I bet you could probably park in that same spot, but the, or even where you're going to be at the end of the night and just have your RV person be in the car, in a car that day or somebody drive them back, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but you don't want to take the RV in the city. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to be thinking, you know, about like that part of where are you going to park it? Yosemite will not, you can only park the RV in campgrounds in Yosemite. And in fact, they don't even want you to stop in the turnouts for more than an hour and they will come and ticket you. So it wasn't even like I could pretend I was going to sit there and wait for them, you know? So in Yosemite, right before you come in, right when you're coming into the park, there's a closed restaurant really close to a gas station. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but I can find that for you. So you're going to probably be right in that same distance. We stayed there with both Sandra and Pete. And then we got into the park and there's a couple campgrounds. The problem, and you need to be looking at this, is that the parks are different now because of COVID. Mm. So it's like, you want to make sure you have your camping spots ahead of time, even if you don't use them. Like I would give yourself a two or three, two day window or whatever, and book those spaces at both of those parks in Yosemite and get your pass to go through Yosemite. Because like we went last year to uh, Lake Tahoe and some family we were going to be with was going to Yosemite and they couldn't get passes to go in. So it was like, they had to wait like five days to be able to go through. And as you know, that's something that can stop your whole race right Mm -hmm. in its tracks, you know, is something like that. So you want to do your research for Yosemite. um, And then I would book those campgrounds because depending on the size of your RV too, like Yosemite, the last space they had available was for a 28 foot RV. I have a 32 foot. They agreed and it was nighttime. And if you've seen that notorious picture of Pete laying on the road, with his, all of his lights on and the water bottle, he threw his water bottle. It's because he had to go so much further than he thought mm. to get that campground, the only campground we could get. Um, and, and they literally let me back the RV in between two trees. But I mean, it was the hardest parking from the entire trip. Okay. I was trying to get backed into this little tiny spot for my RV, you know, and then we couldn't use a generator that night. And, you know, I mean, Chuck and Dean are, are sleeping in the van still, but they don't want you to do that in Yosemite. So they're sleeping with their seats down in the van in Yosemite, you know, I mean, so those are things that you have to kind of like think about. Yosemite is the only complication of mm-hmm. that on the whole thing. 
the rest of the time, there was a place up in Colorado where we parked that we were so close. Like I have the wheel wedges that I can drive up on if I'm on a slant. Even with wheel wedges, we were still on a slant. I couldn't tip out. We were so close to the edge of the road that when the big cattle trucks went by, it shook the RV and the guys crossed the fence and slept, didn't say no trespassing, so they were legal, but they they slept in a field right across the fence by the <laughs> RV. And I mean, it was like trying to figure out, you know, and that was probably the closest, and it wasn't a, a highway or by any means, it was an old, you know, a, a two-lane road. But, um, you know, that one was, ooh, we were a little close to the road. Um, a lot of, we parked at a lot of, uh, grain silos and one missile silo. And I know Pete told you that story. Um, it was actually in Colorado and I couldn't find anywhere to park the RV. So I just drove up, looked like a long driveway, looked like a, I thought it was like one of those well things, you know, passes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Um, when I'm surrounded by police cars with their weapons drawn, <laughs> um, telling me to come out of the, the RV with my hands up. Um, but in their defense, it was the, the RV had L, uh, Vegas plates and it was the day after the shooting in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. first. And so the big country and Western concert shooting, it was the day after. Sure. And, and they said, had I not been in the RV, they were literally sending the Air Force in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they told me where to go park it. And then they waved at Sandra and Pete on the way back by. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was a, and here I am. No, it's a transcon. They're running across America right after that. I went out and bought those markers and painted the RV with uh, van markers. So they kind of knew what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I gave them one of her little pass along cards and I should have done my picture with them. They were very gracious, but they did search. They did ask for permission and they did search the whole RV. And I was in the middle of making tater tot casserole actually. Um, so but, but parking until you get to the East Coast. And then again, I say, if I was doing another Transcon, I would figure out once you hit New Jersey, how to do something different. Because New Jersey into New York, those two days are a nightmare with the RV. You can take the RV to, to um, Liberty Park, which is in New Jersey. And, and it's really easy to get to New York from Liberty Park. That's where we parked at Statue of Liberty Park. Both times we parked there. It's a great RV place to park the RV. It's not hard to get it there. It's trying to crew out of the RV. I got kicked out of places. I, I cried more in that stretch than anywhere. I was exhausted anyway. But also, um, when you're doing that part of it, the streets are really narrow there was like four times I had to go somewhere a different route because the tunnels, the little, any overpasses are too short for the RV. Um, I would say park the RV, drive the RV straight to Liberty Park and then crew, you know, even if you have to like stay in a motel along the route, that would be simple to find. But um, you, you need to, and it's only like two days. You need that that was the hardest part on both runs. I probably shed more tears in New Jersey trying to feel, I mean, I was scraping the top of the RV on trees. I was, you know, trying to back around and detour and it's really hard to do through there. Yeah.
Hey folks, I just uploaded 26 unique training plans to my website. They range from 12 week base building plans all the way up to advanced 100 mile training plans. If you're looking for a bit more guidance with your training, please consider checking out my offerings at zachbitter.com. That's Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Once on the site, click the link on the top titled training plans and see if anything fits your needs. I'm also looking to continue to add to this catalog, so do not hesitate to reach out with any suggestions. Thanks everyone. You know, one thing I looked at, like when I first thought of this, like I was, I mean, I've been wanting to do a transcon or thought I would do a transcon run at some point in my life early on in my alternate career. It was just such a pipe dream until like the last few years that I never really got around to actually like actualizing it in my head. But before COVID, I was actually gonna originally going to do this in 2020. Obviously, I postponed it. Um, and here we are. But uh one thing I looked at originally was, is there a way to do it without an RV where you're staying in hotels? And there just isn't with the Sierras and stuff. There um, isn't with Mid-America. Oh, really? Even with Mid-America? Not a Mid-America. And you you would be staking out. And mm -hmm. that is such a waste of time and energy. Sure. Mm -hmm. Not only is it a waste of time and energy, but I'm assuming you're going for the Guinness record. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you're not doing this just <laughs> to do it. And yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so Guinness, I mean, we haven't even begun to talk about the nightmare that Guinness is. Yeah. But Guinness, <laughs> I mean, if you stake out, like, because we staked out with Sandra a lot, because I mean, it just was a different story. Pete, you know, we were done by four o'clock almost every day. Once we got through the first couple of weeks and we figured out a routine, mm -hmm. we were done by like four and Pete and I were in bed by six. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we just made quiet time in the RV, everybody, I don't know what they did outside of the RV, but man, we were, we were done. And I would often just lay in bed and read. Um, but, and if you have an RV with a generator, like the mothership has a generator, so we never needed to be plugged in. So we didn't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And my generator ran off my gas tank. So okay. it was perfect. Like I never had to worry about that aspect of it. But um, if you're staking out, you have to literally like take a picture of your watch, put a stake in the ground, prove where you stopped. And then when you start again, you have to be in exactly that spot. Like if somebody moved your stake or if something happened, how do you know? Like, and, and Guinness will make you prove it. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally they are so crazy in dealing with, that it took us a couple of years, three years to get, Sandra's race was just recently certified in the last six months. And we finished three and a half years ago um, because they like, and this is the thing that people don't realize about Guinness, like they, and that's what this journal was good for because they wanted to know like day 31, what, where did she start? Uh -huh. uh, you know, like, and so, we literally, I, if you're staking out, and that was the thing, Pete never staked out. So like wherever we parked the RV, I mean, one time we got asked to move it back. Somebody called, we were at a, a, like somebody's farm silo. And the, he's like, oh, you're a little close to the road. The owner came, somebody called him farmland. Somebody will call. And he said, can you just back it up? So we moved back like a hundred feet, but then Pete had to walk out of the RV a hundred feet and start his watch right there, you know, mm -hmm. where we had been parked. And so um, if you're staking out, you leave yourself open. And sometimes you might have to, but you do leave yourself open to 
interpretation by Guinness. So if you were staying in hotels, there's no way. Sure. Plus, plus just the logistics of mm -hmm. eating, sleeping, and trying to just be in one place. You know, Pete knew that little bedroom in the back of my RV is his haven. Um, absolutely was his haven, you know. So um, just that one, that part of it alone. You don't want to be in a good hotel, a bad hotel, a seedy hotel, you know. And, and like I said, we just, the RV was never the issue. We had a couple, I mean, we had, we had one breakdown. Fortunately, I was able to find, uh, it was in Nebraska. Um, we, we had our, our van wrecked and the RV broke down in Nebraska. <laughs> um, both in both cases, we, we were able to just simply, um, fix it and move forward. Like just Sandra, we didn't have any of that, but, um, you know, and Pete, Pete knew that the van got wrecked. It was a little hard to miss. Um, but he didn't know the RV broke down. He had no idea the RV broke down until the run was over. That's funny. <laughs> out know, of sight, but, out of mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we never told him mm -hmm. it wasn't his to deal with, you sure. know, I mean, that was just, uh, I just said to the guys, hey, just let Pete know that I took the RV in for a little bit of maintenance. So he's just going to take a break with you guys today. I'm, he's not going to have the RV for his morning break. And off I went because it was making a noise. Off I went, got it fixed, met back up with him at the end of the day for dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, that was one thing I was thinking, because I mean, I've been, I think what I'm going to end up doing is renting an RV, a point to point one from San Francisco to New York and just bite that price tag. Uh, you know, I think I'll probably Let's get talk. someone. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking because like renting one, maybe the advantage there is it's most likely going to make it across the country without any hiccups. But maybe I, I I don't know a lot about RV, so maybe maybe it's more sketchy to rent one. I would imagine they kind of go through with a fine tooth comb before they rent it out, so that that doesn't happen, or it's less likely to happen. But uh, maybe that should be my next question: is uh, what what would you recommend from an RV standpoint in terms of you know acquiring one? Is it better just to get one rented so you kind of know what you're getting, and then can just lean on that versus trying to find one and rent it from a specific person? Well, um, I mean, I have, you know, mixed thoughts on it. Um, we could definitely talk about the mothership. Um, you know, I'm not opposed to, you know, working out something with you. Sure, um, sure. If you're interested in renting the mothership, we could definitely talk about it. Um, you know, I mean, there are some pros and cons. So you think it would be an easy transition if you rent an RV from RV America. And you break down in podunk nowhere, unless there's an RV America, <laughs> mm. there's not a lot they can do for you. Like they're, they're going to get their RV towed to get it fixed, but they're not going to bring you a new RV mm -hmm. to mm. our, you know, they're not going to bring you an RV in the middle of Illinois or of Ohio if they don't have one, you know, or if you're in Nevada in the Sierras and there's no RV America. They're not bringing you a new RV out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're going to get theirs towed to get it fixed. And they're going to want you to wait while it's getting fixed. They're going to be like, oh, we'll fix that RV. Uh, you know, so there are a few little things like that that are very different than, for example, if you know somebody that has an RV. Um, 
I, I will say that I do believe the way a transcon is done is what makes it okay with, a, with an RV rented from a person. So, you know, you're doing it 70 miles a day. So yes, the oh, RV is no. going to get 3,000 miles on it, but it's not going to get 3,000 miles on four, in four days. It's not going 80 miles an hour on a freeway. It very much is doing um, its smaller miles going from point to point. And so when you think about that, it's not as much stress. What broke down on the RV that had to be fixed was because of one of those other little mishaps middle of the afternoon or middle of the morning, getting ready to stop, trying to find a place to park the RV for lunch, for the lunch break. And a person that was helping me said, um, I, I needed to turn around. And they scoped out this field kind of thing and said, oh, just pull into here and turn around because it was on a big sweeping corner. And I should have just drove ahead until there was a big place to turn around, but I didn't. I pulled in there. Then I realized I could not back out of there because it was on too big of a corner. So I ended up pulling into the field a little bit and getting the RV stuck in the field. Oh, it no. was supposed to be looked dry, but it wasn't. It was wet. So I had to rev the engine like you can't even believe to get it out of this field. Oh, my goodness. I, the whole undercarriage of the RV was full of dirt. It was horrible. It was like, oh, my. That's one time Pete said, what happened? Because I mean, <laughs> undercarriage was just coated in dirt. We're like, don't ask. Um, anyway, the next day when I was going to run, I could hear this whining sound that I'd not heard before. And I'd already been driving a lot of miles. And I realized that. So I took it in and to like a, a freight liner. And they said, oh, you're, it was my AC condenser that was going out. And so they just did it, uh, took it off and um, rebelted it. And, you know, it took like four hours to get the parts and off we were, we just didn't have AC the rest of the time, but by then it was October, who needs mm -hmm. it? Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it was not, it wouldn't have happened had I not tried to get out of that field. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, that's really, that's really interesting. I think like just the whole idea of, and I guess like the really, like, I mean, you could always just have like a, you know, like a, a whatever point inspection they do on RVs before you go and make sure everything is like kind of tip top before you head out and you're probably in the same boat as you are, you know, renting one from a place like RV America, but. That's what we did. We, we took it in. I mean, when I got it from Daniel, it, you know, Daniel had just put new tires on it. We took it in and we literally had them check all the belts, all the hoses, all of the, you know, change all the fluids in it. And Pete paid for that. You know, he just paid for a really good tune up on the RV before we went. And yeah, like I said, you're not doing stressful miles. On mm -hmm. And that is the biggest difference. You're not stressing the RV. Um, and, the, and the cost of getting it home, I promise you, is less. The cost of renting an yeah. RV from a friend and even having somebody drive that RV back is way less than the cost of renting an RV from RV America. Or sure or whatever so i think that's a conversation we can have off of the podcast sure you know, 
I mean, this has all been incredibly informative. I feel like had I decided or not talked to you, I probably would have ended up like spending a two extra days in Yosemite and, <laughs> and fi finding a lot of wasted time out there. So this has been an incredibly cool to chat with you about some of this stuff. And, um, well, you know, one thing I wanted to ask before I forget is too, is when you're talking about just the usage of the RV where you kind of reserve the bathroom and the shower mostly for Pete, um, was there a, is there like an, like when we're talking about, let's start with water. So what is like the timeline on that? When you have a full tank of water and an RV, like what you guys had, what are you looking at a day or two before you have to refill that or? Yeah, it's 35 gallons. Okay. So, so what you have to think about is like, you know, if you're a person that spends 15 minutes in the shower, you're going to run into problems. Mm -hmm. If you're a person that can get in and out in five minutes, you're going to be okay. You're going to be, you know, better off. Um, so, and then dishes, that's really all you're using it for because it's, although you could drink it sometimes when you have to fill up in some places, it's not potable water. Mm. So, um, you try to always fill it with potable water, but there are a few places that you might not get the best water. It's always potable, I guess, but sometimes it's not the best water. Mm -hmm. So, and even though I put a sanitizer into my water tank and stuff, we, you, I never drink out of an RV tank. I live in an RV. I live in a fifth wheel. Um, okay. in Utah. We're ranch, man, ranch managers. And yeah, what you see is my house. I live in a big fifth wheel, but okay. I live in a fifth wheel now. And so, um, but we don't drink out of our sink, you know, I mean, and we're hooked up to regular water, but yeah. So we always just had drinking water, which is like the big two gallons that go on the counter, sure. you know? And then we had, um, so we bought four, five gallon, those big blue bottles. Mm -hmm. And we had them on the far side of Pete's bed where they fit in there. You're never, it's not an area you're ever going to walk. It's literally, that's where he stored all the little goodies, like license plates and, and weird things he picked up alongside the road <laughs> <laughs> and gave to Chuck and Dean. And then they would, we would put them in the RV anyway, but that side so we just had that space. Plus there were places where we had like one gallons of water along there too. So we kind of filled that side with water and we just left it there unless we needed it. And the only time we really had to use it was Tonopah to Ely. Um, Cause you're not, you're going to run out of water between Tonopah and Ely. So then you just have to make sure you have the correct funnel because that was something I didn't have. So then I'm trying to figure out how to funnel the water out of the five gallon thing into my little thing that's normally a hose okay yeah <laughs> you know so um but yeah so that's how we did it and really you can go you could go four days if you were super careful and and just really did restrict water if you're not as careful you're going to go two or three but again there's only a few spots along, and, and I'll point those out to you, like I can kind of help map out what you'll need, but um, there's only a few spots, Zach, where you're going to really need um, to be paying attention to that to really be close. paying super close attention to that. Really, more than anything, it's the black water. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, you don't want the RV to run out of water, but if you've got 25 gallons, you're almost filling your tank again, mm -hmm. you know in the RV. And then before Tonopon Ely, we literally filled every space there was possible with gallon jars or gallon bottles of water from the store there. We bought the store out. 
mm-hmm. of gallon and we did like the crew van and I mean mm-hmm. we put water everywhere and and really we overdid it we didn't need that much and we ended up spending an extra day out there and we still didn't need that much so mm-hmm. I didn't and- do nearly as much with Sandra yeah. And I mean, water is like kind of the non-negotiable. Like if Pete runs out of calories for a couple hours, he can probably make that up. But if he runs out of water for a couple hours, that could cascade into like multiple days. So yeah, uh, yeah I think if you're going to overdo something, that's probably the one to do it on. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's everything, mm-hmm. you know, and even if you can't take a shower, like if you, you know, you're close and you're not sure where your next water thing is and you can't take a shower, a, a long shower, you can at least get in, rinse off. Hold- thing rinse off your crew can use you know spit bath stuff oops you can use whatever and then you're um you're good yeah mm-hmm. you know i mean really again you have to have a crew that's willing to say this isn't about me mm-hmm. you know it's not about my comfort it's not about me my crew ate great but like i said i don't know how they slept every night right <laughs> i don't mm-hmm. know i mean i don't know how they did it when we hit snow jay slept in the van or in the rv by the way so when it was just me, Jay, and Sandra, a crew of three, um, they slept in the RV. Jay slept in the RV too. And we we had perfect synergy. Me, Jay, and Sandra were literally, there's no way that you could do it with a crew of only one person. We did have people join us, a few people, June joined us in Colorado, got us over Rabbit Ears Pass where we got caught in a blizzard. Um, and the RV got stuck and like, literally I parked at a park and ride at the top of rabbit ears pass. And then we got two feet of snow and the snow plows, when they come along, they made a big bank and then we could, the RV was stuck all day. Um, mm-hmm. some guy came and helped me tow it out. It was very nice of him, told me how to do it. And we find, we were digging it out. We didn't have a shovel. We were digging it out with fry pans. We were literally trying to use the fry pans, the cast iron skillet to dig the RV out of the snow. But Pete, you know, we were consulting with Pete the whole time for Sandra. Pete and Dave Krupski, he also was helping because he was her coach. And when we got to Colorado and we knew there was a blizzard coming, I literally went to um, Trail, I can't remember, Trail Toes? Anyway, the the running store there, trail store there, spent about $1,000 on winter gear because none of us had it. Mm. And... um, and then Pete and Dave and Marshall talked and told Sandra, you have to just keep going. So she got to, to Steamboat Springs. Yes, I think. Yeah. Thought Steamboat Springs. Thought she was stopping for the night. And we told her no. And so she ran through the night over Rabbit Ears Pass to get to the top. Just to get to the top. So she didn't get done till like 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And the and actually, like, they closed the pass right after her. Oh, wow. And so we her, we would have been derailed at Rabbit Ears Pass if we would have, because it was like three, you know, two or three days before you could have really pulled it back together to get the RV over it. Um, but at one point, literally, I was driving like five miles an hour up the pass in the RV, scared to death, crying, talking to Pete and Marshall, freaked out about driving the RV through that much snow and although it drives great and it's heavy and it, it has chains if you need them. But anyway, um, the cop actually stopped and asked me what I was doing. And because he saw Pete's thing on the front of it and then it was night. But he said, um, are you with those crazy runners? What do they do? 
because they're coming up in this blizzard and, you know, there are still semis coming down mm-hmm. and, but they had on the, interestingly enough, we had bought yak tracks before we left just in case, which we didn't have them on Pete's and they ended up having to use them. Wow. Um, but yeah, so she ran through a blizzard by the time she got to me at the top, there was like three feet of snow oh at the top goodness. of the mountain. So yeah, she ran through a blizzard and every pair of shoes, they had them. Uh, June followed her because June's from Colorado and had an SUV that could do it. And we had all of her shoes in June's car. So the next morning we had like nine pairs of wet shoes in front of the <laughs> furnace. <laughs> but that's the only time we ran out of propane was because I didn't, you know, that, I mean, you have to think about propane too, because you heat with propane, you cook with propane, the refrigerator runs off propane if you don't have the generator on. And we used so much heat that night that we ran out of propane hmm. early the next day, which was okay. Cause then I could go get it. But anyway, yeah. So those are just those things you have to think about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, one thing I talked to Pete about a little bit and some other folks too, uh, Ray Zahab, uh, Dean Carnassus, uh, some of these other guys who've done some of these big multi-stage things. And uh, they said there's obviously things you don't want to leave unaccounted for. I mean, like obviously Yosemite's one of them, propane, water, the RV, like all these like kind of big, like big actionable items that if you don't put energy into planning, they're going to come back and bite you in some shape or form. And then there's like an endless list of things that could happen. So at a certain point you have to say, okay, we have the things we can control taken care of. And part of this journey is going to be how we navigate those other little things, which I guess could turn into big things Uh, like winter storms, obviously is a big thing, Uh, but you can't really control that. So you have to just say, okay, if this happens, we will, take it as part of the journey and problem solve and take the best route forward we can given what we're dealt and then just be happy with that and content with it and move forward versus kind of dwelling on it. And I really like that mindset to the degree where I think it alleviates a lot of the stress and anxiety leading into something like this when you're yeah. not trying to account for every little thing you possibly could. Cause that list is endless. Uh, Who thought your car was going to get totaled? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that, <laughs> you don't plan on that. Pete didn't miss an hour. He uh-huh. didn't miss a beat. I mean, he mm-hmm. stopped, made sure everything was okay. Interestingly enough, four o'clock in the morning, we'd had a guy that had was in the area that came out to run with or to, to help with Pete. He wasn't even going to run with him. He just wanted to see him, mm-hmm. was on his motorcycle, was coming up, saw the accident, figured out what happened, went and got his like BMW or some ridiculous car that you would never crew out of, loaded <laughs> all the guys crew stuff into it and he crewed him the rest of the day tracy went with i think dean or somebody anyway they went found a car dealership a rental car got another rental car got everything transferred around and pete never missed a beat i drove the rv ahead to the next stop spot we never missed a beat pete never missed an hour or a mile and the rv was totaled or the the van was totaled Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the kind of unexpected stuff, but that's where you have to rely on your crew. That's where you have to be able to say to your crew, get it going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, yeah. just keep moving forward, you know, but yeah, you're going to, you'll have little things like that. Um, the snowstorm, if there's an accident, which heaven forbid that there not be an accident, that was the most bizarre, 
but um, you know, you're gonna thunder and lightning. You know, I mean, Sandra, we had 60 mile an hour winds in Indiana. Oh, she's man. like as big as a minute and it's in the <laughs> evening and she's getting blown all over the road and everything is flooded. And this truck goes by her and hits a mud puddle. And just, it's, it was literally, Jay said he wished he would have had a camera of it. It was like a wave that just came over her, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you're going to run into weather no matter what. We had a couple storms with Pete, one snow, a couple big rainstorms, one big lightning storm where I was hoping the RV didn't get hit by lightning. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, little things like that you're going to have. There's no mm-hmm. way around those. That's the little stuff. But, yeah. Know. I mean, I think the interesting thing is, I mean, you're going through such a wide range of terrain and geography and even I mean you're crossing seasons essentially obviously you're the tail if you do it like Pete did you're the tail end of summer going into the front end of fall or the thick of fall I guess so you're going to have that and then you're just going to have the geographical changes from being you know at 10,000 feet and then down to sea level and that sort of stuff and it's like it really what it just leaves you with is a scenario where no no one transcon is the same so no, it's like road construction, right? Like, yeah. I mean, hmm. that's where Pete's sister, Anne was our lifesaver because she was what we called the eye in the sky. And she was that for Sandra and Pete both. And um, I mean, you don't even think of a bridge being out or, you know, um, or having to take a detour that you didn't plan on because fall is road construction for a lot of these you know, places like Sandra's run, when you come up out of Yosemite and you go through all of those little back roads in, in Nevada, uh, Southern Cal- or Northern, no, Southern California and then Nevada, and then coming up into Tonopah, there was like 20 miles where they were down to one lane road. She couldn't run on that one lane road. It was a pilot car, you know, and so we had to talk to their foreman guy and so they let her go off and run like in the dirt, gravel, sand stuff up on the side. You know, we wouldn't, we didn't plan on that. That's a long ways to run on that kind of, and how was Jay going to crew her? You know, because you're not going to want to wear a vest. You're not going to carry a handhold. I mean, you got to carry that in reach. And really that's the only thing you want to do. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't want to have to worry about one extra ounce of energy going anywhere it doesn't have to and so but like for there he strapped her vest on her water in it snacks went ahead where they said he could pull out he was able to pull out you know but it was more like five or ten miles it wasn't one or two miles you know bear I mean we had bear we uh, saw they saw I didn't see it in the RV they saw a bear in Yosemite and bears in Pennsylvania and so um who accounts for bears on their run (laughs) Yeah, well, Um, definitely wanted that tater tot casserole, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, cougar. I mean, so we're in um, we're in Vernal, Utah, and I've stayed in the same campground both nights. It's a great campground there. Super nice people. You can do your laundry, go shopping, do all of it. But Pete's run there. We're like trying to sleep, and it's like the loudest. Pete wakes up in the morning and he goes, "There was a baby crying all night," and I'm like, "Yeah, that wasn't a baby. That was a cougar." right as he's going to go out the door, <laughs> you know, like, and, and then I talked to the park people and they said, yeah, there's one that hangs out by their dumpsters, mm. you know, and like, you could just hear this cougar and it sounds like a baby crying, 
all night long, you know? So yeah, you don't think about those things. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm sure there will be stories and stories and stories to tell after this type of stuff. It's, it's, it's no wonder people write books about stuff like this because there's definitely know, an entire book. I know, and I need book. to. Yeah, as, you, I was sure. writing my, as I was writing my notes, well, because one of the things I would like to do is I do want to write a book about it, but actually I want to do, I want to be a consultant for it. Oh, That's yeah. kind of something I would like to do is to consult with people to to really help them. I I was just recently doing that kind of with a person that was attempting it right now um but yeah sherry's out trying hers is kind of falling apart but um she was doing it in a van with changing crew anyway and mm. and that's why i tell you i mean it's like if you're if your goal is to to try and break pete's record which i swore i would never help anybody break pete and sandra's record <laughs> so i only am doing that with permission from pete um but you know, when that's your goal, then you really, it's the people that have the experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, I relied on Marshall and Heather's experience and got them talking through it. But I tell people, I really believe, you know, conceitedly that I'm probably one of the foremost authorities on how to do it. I hold the record. Uh, you know, I got Pete and Sandra both across. Yeah. Yeah. That is super so. unique to be able to say that you have the men's and women's route record that you were, I mean, they, they trusted so much into your knowledge and your leadership along that way. It's like you captained both of them. And uh, that's, that's certainly a, something that I would be really proud of if I were you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was a learning experience and, and it's my love. I mean, when I told you at the beginning, you know, I, I love running, but um, I'm never going to win a race, mm -hmm. you know, unless you get, you, unless you get first place for being last place, I'm never going to win the race. And that's winning the race. Isn't important to me anymore. It can't be because it's not going to happen, but I can be the best crew that I can possibly be. You know, I, I am the best runner I can be. I do the best I can when I go out there, but I can crew people who can win. And I, I think that I have the experience and the knowledge now to help them to do it. Or even just anybody that, I mean, lots of people are trying transcons now in various degrees of ways of doing it. And that's why I think, you know, consulting on, you know, okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you mm -hmm. thought about this? You know, it's the weird things that you don't think about, uh, you know, that are really what can stop you in your tracks sometimes. You know, like somebody saying, oh, I can just stay in hotels along the way. Well, what if you can't? Right. <laughs> then yeah. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, and there's definitely people who won't look into that enough and still try to do it. So like I know when I was looking at that particular scenario, I got probably about 300 miles in from San Francisco and was already like, hey, this isn't going to work. Like <laughs> there's just no yeah. way that that's going to work out. So and, it, you know, my biggest question after that kind of came became like what and this is a good question for you, because you kind of have two. I, I would say like Pete's crew is, I would imagine, about as big as you'd want. Oh, no. Too big. Yeah. Too big. Yeah. So like about as big as you can get away with. Uh, and then uh, Sandy's was a, was a kind of skinny crew. Like it was as little as you can realistically get away with without sacrificing time um, is if you were going to do it again, would you go small just because that's more controllable? Or would you say, well, three was maybe a little low. Maybe I'll try four since that's one less than Pete, but not quite as many. Or what would you do? I think, 
I think how you define your crew is how you define their roles. So is four people too many? No. If their roles mm. are definitive. So for example, I happen to know that your wife crews you. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that's interesting. That's an interesting scenario. I can't imagine because of I know what goes into a transcon. I can't imagine the interdynamics of a marriage and crew on a transcon. <laughs> I, I like I can't wrap my head around that one. I just want you to know, Zach. Just but you guys do that, so you know how your that works for crewing for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pete hardly even talked to Nikki. I mean, he did. He would call her when he could, but you know, first of all, Pete and Sandra neither one had a cell phone the whole run. Like they didn't have it with them. They didn't have it on them. They didn't use it at night. Sandra never saw her cell phone the whole run. Um, Pete did talk to Nikki a few times along the run, but that was it. Like, again, your world is one thing. So, um, but I think once you define what those crew people are going to do, that will define your needs. Mm -hmm. So for example, I can't even imagine having done Jay's job. You know, I mean, Jay, when you talk about exhausted crew, that's going to be Jay's job because he was alone in a car, in a car from, you know, she went out about six to seven in the morning. She started later than Pete. And, but we didn't get until she didn't get until seven or eight at night. So, you know, he's alone in a car, just interacting with her for 15 or 20 seconds, maybe two or three minutes every mile or two. Um, for 50 some days. That's like somebody crewing a bad water for 50 some days out of a car. You know, I mean, that's completely different than my role in the RV. So Chuck and Dean having each other, I think two people in the, in the support car is really necessary. Jay was able to do it and he was able to do it amazingly. And because we were using a Yaris, two people wouldn't have even worked. <laughs> but And when we had an extra crew person that joined us, then they did go with him, you know. But, you know, I would say 80% of the time, Jay was alone out there. That That's hard. Mm-hmm. That is hard. And he's an introvert. That's kind of, he's an accountant. That's really his personality. I could have never done Jay's role on, on that. I couldn't have done that. That would have been hard. So I think it's really, once you define what the roles are going to be, then you define how much crew you need. So mm-hmm. I don't know what role that your wife plays on your crew. I don't know. Does she feed you? I mean, Heather, you know, Heather joins Marshall on all of these things and they work that out. And, you know, but she's not the, she's the support person. She's not the, the chef or the RV driver or the shopper or, you know, she's really Marshall's support person. And mm-hmm. then whatever role she plays around that. Um, so it's kind of defining what roles they are. And then once you've defined what the roles are going to be, then you're going to know how many people that you need. Tracy was our PR person. Pete's run, we did a lot more PR than we did on Sandra's. Pete's run, we stopped at running stores and did little presentations and And, you know, we planned on thousands of people joining him, not really that many, but we planned on people joining him along the way. Sandra is way more low key. You know, we didn't have the sponsors with Sandra, so we didn't have the liability of Hoka saying, you know, you need to to share this many things along the way, or we Mm -hmm. need this much advertisement or, you know, whoever's sponsoring you, 
you know, they have an expectation of what they want. So what person is going to fill the role of filling their expectation, contacting newspapers, making sure that you're getting all the PR for the run, you know, that in itself is its own job. Mm -hmm. So, and we didn't do that. We didn't have that with Sandra. So, but you know, Pete had Tracy, that was Tracy's role on Pete's run was that. Um, And that was an important part of Pete's run. You know, I mean, my role was, I, you know, I've already defined what my role was. And so, so I think the number of people that you have is defined by what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that you have to be thinking like, okay, I, I saw you said you have some military guys too. Are they willing to not sleep in the RV? Because the more people you put in the RV, the less sleep you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that you can put, if you, if you and your wife sleep in the same bed, when you're, if you're thinking we're going to sleep in the back bed together on this transcon, then that's one space. Then the, t- the, the couch is another space. If you have to use it, that's where Tracy slept. It, it's a futon. And then the last space is the cab over. The cab over is where you're, your main driver of the RV, that person needs to be on the cab over. So they kind of have their own space that they can close off. So really you can sleep comfortably four in the RV without it being disruptive. If one of them is your wife, you can only sleep three if, if uh, you don't want it to be disruptive. And, you know, Chuck and Dean did stay in hotels along the way, by the way. Mm-hmm. So there were times that they would, if we knew there was a hotel within like a 10 mile radius, um, they would go drive to a hotel sometimes. And, you know, they would leave us right after dinner. And sometimes they didn't even do dinner if they were going to a hotel and they would just say, Hey, there's going to be a hotel close enough. We'll go to a hotel tonight. So then they would go to a hotel and, and then they would just be back in the morning really early. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that hybrid approach. Of doing, say, like, you know, hotel for crew, but runner, maybe obviously if you probably want other one other person in the RV with the runner at all times for crazy, like, bear invasion type scenario. (laughs) More likely, you know, police officer knocking on the door, you want a crew member to answer that door, not the runner necessarily. Uh, But I think uh, once you hit certain, I started putting together a map, just basically what I did is I took Pete's GPX files off his Strava and layered them onto a Google map. So I could kind of see exactly where he went and what's around there. And my thought was, you know, if I have four, certainly four plus, then once we get over the Sierras, I think like in that crew van, that chase van, sending them to the hotels as often as they want to. And as often as it's reasonable is a great idea for just for them to get away from it sleep in a real bed, take a real shower, you know, maybe eat at a sit down restaurant, that, that sort of stuff. Um, versus having to kind of just like, you know, rough it the entire way is going to be a nice little respite. Um, and the other thing I kind of thought about was with the, I really like the way you described the RV situation where you're kind of taking in, in, in the spots you can taking that halfway, having that stake there, you get there as like benchmark one for the day, take care of everything you need to do in the intern and then head out for the last leg, the second leg of the day. Because the way I see that, if you have, if you have more than three people involved, then you can almost always have one person take a half day off of following the runner along and just kind Mm -hmm. of relax in the RV 
and, you know, not go completely insane over the course of a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, you know, Chuck and Dean are pros. I mean, we were not their first transcon. We're not going to be their last. Um, you know, Chuck was with Charlie, crewed Charlie when he, they crossed the Sierra. Um, Dean has, they've, Chuck and Dean, their roadshow, they've crewed people across America before. I mean, Chuck and Dean are astounding. They, they are hands down. We would have had them on Sandra's run. Um, just the slight backstory for Sandra's run is um, things kind of fell apart about a week out. And so about a week out, she didn't have an RV. She only had Jay as crew. Um, I was not involved in her run at all. And so a week before she was leaving, Dr. Chris Roma, uh, Roman from Florida, who was kind of side involved in helping consult on hers. Um, he's an ultra runner. I don't know if you know him or not, but anyway, he does bad water and stuff. Dr. Chris called me and it was, I was in Seattle. Actually, the people that own the RV live in Seattle now. I was at their house watching their kids while they were on a little side trip. And I get a call at like eight o'clock in the morning from Chris. And he's like, Cinder, will you do Sandra's transcon? And I said, no. <laughs> and, and, um, and there was reasons, but anyway, and then he said, are you sure? Um, she only has Jay. And I didn't know Jay. And I said, yes. Okay. I'll go. And, um, and anyway, and he said, can we use the RV? And I said, Funny enough, I bought the RV after Pete's run. So we <laughs> used the RV. And so I, so this was a Saturday and she was starting the following Monday, not Saturday, Monday, but like Saturday, Saturday to Monday. So I, I hadn't, I had rode the train to Seattle. I was going home on Monday. So I got on the train Monday that my people got home. I got on the train. I went back to Oregon. My husband and I lived in the mothership at, at my mom's farm. So I moved him out of the mothership, moved him back in the house, got some work done that needed to be done on the RV and left on Friday to drive down to pick Sandra up in Mountain Home. And then from, I think that's where she lived. Yeah, Mountain Home. Anyway, and then left from there and we went and parked at Catrice. So like I, I wasn't even involved nine days before Sandra's run. Wow. And so I, I stepped in Jay. So we tried to get Chuck and Dean, but they were both already booked. And so otherwise we would have had Chuck and Dean for her run. Mm -hmm. Also, if we could have gone, but they were booked on something else. Neither one of them could join us. Um, but it worked out perfect. I mean, Chris Cosman stayed with us for about the first three days helping Jay because Jay had only crewed small things before he had done like a, there's a run that they do from California to Las Vegas. He'd crewed that run before. I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, he'd done that one a few times, but he hadn't done a lot of crewing. He's a runner, but he hadn't done a lot of crewing. Um, and don't let anybody on your crew think that they can work, by the way. That's, that's the big fallacy that you hear all the time. I was in college on Pete's run. I was taking 17 credits of online school um, on Pete's run. <laughs> <laughs> And you have a lot of time that you don't even have any uh, cell service. Jay was an accountant who thought he could, who had been told he could probably do his accounting work along the way. Nobody is working. I mean, I got my schoolwork done because once I parked the RV, I could mm -hmm. spend a couple hours. I didn't get A's, that's for sure. 
But um, <laughs> but yeah, don't let your crew think they can work while they're doing a transcon. It's not happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're not going to be working a job on the side. You won't have service part of the time. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go play into that. But um, but yeah, I definitely think it just depends on who your crew is like Chuck and Dean would have never got in the RV to rest. They would have never done that. But if you have a crew that, you know, that's what you work out ahead of time Mm -hmm. saying, okay, Mm -hmm. you can take some downtime, you know, this time, then yeah. I mean, definitely if you had three people that were your traveling support, you know, your chaser support, then yeah, one every day somebody could be, cause you're not going to have three people in the van every day somebody could be in the RV just there you go. I think I lost you for just a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were just, you were just saying, uh, you could, if you had three people in the chase vehicle, you could have someone take a down day. So I think the, the message got through. So, um, cool. Well, I mean, this has been incredibly informative. I think it's helped me confirm some of the things that I was anticipating. And then it also highlighted a few things I definitely need to think about and, uh, highlight some things I hadn't thought about that I definitely need to be thinking about, which is obviously good uh to catch this stuff early uh and kind of as i start putting some of the more specific uh details together in the coming months have a have a much more fine-tuned game plan but uh i think i've, I've taken up about two hours of your time cinder so i want to be mindful of like the rest of your day and your schedule and everything uh but i want to let you know i'm incredibly grateful for all the uh, willingness and and energy you've given to highlighting some of this stuff uh for for this stuff. It's been really interesting so far from everyone I've talked to just kind of beginning to wrap my head around this project as a whole. And, you know, I would be lying if I said there isn't some anxiety and scariness to it, but there's also a ton of excitement about doing something completely different, completely new. And, uh, you know, something that I'm sure I'll remember for the rest of my life. So it's, it's great to have the perspective of someone like yourself included in that. It's, it's such an experience. It's such a journey. I, I do it every year. You know, I mean, honestly, if I could, one thing that, and I know we're just really close on time and we can talk about it later, but you know, it's kind of, and I think you need to talk to Sandra and Pete because they both Mm -hmm. know from your aspect and I could talk from the crewing aspect, but it's the after race that the after run, that's really the, I, I think after run is more challenging than the run itself. I think the the reacclimating to real life, Pete's was was a little bit hard for me. Sandra's was incredibly difficult um, because it's interesting when your focus has been one thing for so long, mm-hmm. and that one thing is so intense. Yeah. Um, that yeah, and Marshall talks about it in his book. Um, you know, it it if you talk to Frank. Like if you read Frank's book about running across America, Giovanni, um, the first one that's, you know, whose Pete's record broke, not the first one, but whose Pete, who the record Pete broke, you know, like, I mean, the recovery, the, the, the mental recovery Mm -hmm. is I think the hardest thing that there is. And even for your crew, it's very interesting, you know, and that's a whole nother topic, but yeah, it's, it's the most amazing thing I've ever done 
hands down, I, I just love every aspect of a transcon. Um, it, it's so incredibly, what a human feat. I mean, come on. You know, we always, <laughs> we have a joke with Sandra that we say she ran across America on her Chevrolet legs. Um, <laughs> You know, so, because think about that. Can you wrap your mind around, you know, when you look at a map and if you follow Pete's heat map or Sandra's heat map, they're the same. Uh But if you follow that heat map, like, think about that. They ran that every step of it with their feet, (laughs) you know? It is cool to think about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's talk talk about something you can, it's just like, yeah, like like a life accomplishment, if nothing else, regardless of what your pace is or what your finishing time is, like just the fact that you started on one coast and ended on the other in any shape or form is uh, is a once in a lifetime opportunity for. Yeah, I don't care if you do it in 40 days or six months. It's still it is phenomenal. You know, I mean, there's there's nothing about it. I think that's just not a phenomenal experience you know, mm-hmm. and, and I really, and I believe it's something that, you know, that people should be doing. If it's your passion and it's your dream, you should do it because I think, you know, this is a short life. We have a really short life and the opportunity to really step out and, and accomplish something great. Um, you know, I mean, I think Pete and Sandra are two of the humble and Marshall three of the humblest people I know. Like I tell people, man, I did that. I'd be shouting it from every rooftop the rest of my life. And, you know, they're so humble about it. It's just, it's amazing, you know, so. Yeah, 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 no kidding. I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Sandy. Um, You know, Pete, I've talked to a few times about it already. And I think like, yeah, yeah, Pete would never, like you would never know the, (laughs) unless you, unless you did. Uh, and I mean, I, I still think like his, his keys to keys run is uh, like mind boggling to me. Like, just I, the, yeah. like when you, when I, you just, if you told me like, okay, here's a guy who's run north of 72 miles per day with support across the country. Now he's going to run from keys, Alaska to keys, keys, Florida, unsupported with a stroller. What do you think he's going to average? I'd be like, I don't know, maybe 30 to 40 miles a day at most. And he's like 50 plus. Like that, that is just insane to me that he, and, and the way you have to do that too, where like you may only be able to go 30 miles one day because of just the way the logistics are set up. Uh, and then that just means in order to average 50, you're going to have to do some 70, 80 mile day somewhere. And if that's what the route takes you, then it's what it takes you. It's just, yeah. yeah. I, that stroller one, I mean, I was just like, and I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to what he's, you know, what he's thinking next. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of what he's thinking next. And, and yeah, I'm just in awe of anyone. I mean, I'm in awe of anyone that laces up their shoes and goes out and runs. And I don't care if that's the, you know, a a 5k around your neighborhood or, you know, a a transcon. Yeah. I think I always tell people, you know, the first step is just lacing up your shoes. Mm -hmm. And once you lace up your shoes, you know, I always tell people once I put my shoes on and I lace them up, I'm pretty much stuck going. You're going. Yeah. 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 It's been decided at that point. That's the, that's, I wrote a blog a long time ago about just lacing up my shoes. You know, it's Uh like, even if I don't want to go run, if I just lace up my shoes, then the chances are I'm going for a run, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 
So just lace up your shoes, Zach. You got it. Awesome. I, I can I can definitely get my head around lacing up the shoes. So that's good to hear. Um, but Cinder, <laughs> speaking of blogs, is there any place you want to share with my listeners as to where they can find you, where you're up to, website, social media handles, or anything like that? You know what? Just Facebook. I I am a terrible blogger. Like I wanted to do a blog a long time ago, and I keep thinking I'm going to. Um, you know, I do have Running with Cinder on Facebook. But I haven't updated it forever. I mean, I'm not a great social media person, but I am on Facebook, just Cinder Wolf. It's pretty easy. Um, you know, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that just means they're going to have to come to my podcast to hear from you then. I'm totally that, cool with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Zach. I, I like it's my passion. I love talking about it. And, and plus, I just, I love helping. I'm a helper and I love helping people to accomplish great things. And yeah. And um, I said, Pete, Pete was like, yeah, talk to him. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah. And Pete, Pete, Pete didn't take him. It didn't take him half a second to recommend talking to you. So I knew when he said, when he said that, I was like, okay, I got to reach out. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was really happy that that played out the way it did. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Cinder, you've you've been super generous with your time. I've learned a ton. Hopefully the listeners will have a new perspective or a different perspective on the whole project coming, coming from this side of it versus kind of what I've shared from the runner's perspective on some previous ones. Uh, but I can't thank you enough for, for joining me for this episode. No problem. Hey, take care. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options if you think my gear is also right for you. My shoe of choice, Ultra Footwear, is offering listeners 15% off. They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zachbitter.com forward slash my gear or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show.